Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Luke Haskell Apologetic Show on the Four Persons Network. To call into the show, the number is 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. And now, make way for the hammer of heretics himself. Luke Haskell. for an hour, and then we got a half an hour break, and then we got another great show. We have Swan Sona from Intellectual Catholicism, and he's going to be talking about the four senses of scripture. And if you want to take your scripture study to the next level, well, that's a show that you want to catch. Uh, Luke, I'm really looking forward to that show. I think it's going to be very informative, don't you? That sounds really interesting. So let's pick up where we left off. First of all, um, uh, Luke was out last week on a uh, on some personal business, and I don't know if you caught the show that we did uh, in your absence. Uh, maybe you can uh, back. We can backtrack on that on a future episode. But we kind of got into the Book of Revelation and a, and a Catholic look at the Book of Revelation. Me and Louis Atondo did. I thought it was very interesting, but now we're going to jump back and pick up where we left off two weeks ago, and we were uh, pick up where we were at. We were talking about the Holy Mass as the true Passover, so let's tie up all those loose ends, finish up that, and then we'll move into the uh, next subject, okay? Sure. Sounds good. Uh, of course, you know, belief that the Holy Mass is the true Passover is uh, we we could create an imagery of it through scripture and stuff, but it always comes down to faith seeking understanding. Uh, what Augustine says, you uh, uh, you have to uh, believe before you can understand, because these are mysteries that are so deep and so spiritual, and they do not conform to time and space. And so, because Catholics you know, celebrate the Holy Mass because we are in the presence uh, uh, of of, the, of heaven itself in that Holy Mass, and we experience the words that Paul uh, gave us and the words that Christ gave us uh, 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 spiritually uh, during the Mass. That it is much easier for us to contemplate this in the scriptures to see it in the scriptures so if if, if we go back to this idea of just obedience so so we can accept that god's words are true 
even though, you know, they are so hard to contemplate. Well, in Matthew 7.21, we read, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that hath the will of my Father who is in heaven, he shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, cast out devils in thy name, and done many miracles in thy name? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Well, number one, Satan can mimic prophecy, miracles. And, of course, casting out the demons, you know, demons will leave bodies voluntarily in order to create confusion. But what we see here is that God raises obedience to the faith above all these things. And he does this because, you know, he's our father and we're his children. So there's so many things that, you know, we could contemplate on this, you know, uh, level that we're at and not even understanding. So this obedience to the faith is the key because we must take God as a word when he said, this is my body. We must take Paul at his word when he says the cup of benediction that we bless. Is this not participation in the blood of Christ, the bread that we break? Is this not uh, participation in, in, you know, in the body of our Lord? Because we that are of uh, partake of the one bread are part of the one body. So uh, this idea of obedience is a, a need in order to come close to these mysteries. So let's go ahead and and from there get back into where we left off when it comes to the the cross and the establishment of the Passover. Uh, Jesus said at the Last Supper, I will not drink again until I enter my Father's glory. Well, Jesus entered his Father's glory as he finished his purpose on earth from the cross. Let me interrupt you just for one second for a, for a, a fine point here. Some translations say, I will not drink again until I enter into my kingdom. So why the difference in translation and, and which is more faithful to the original text? You know, I really don't uh, know, but it really doesn't really doesn't matter because Entering his, his kingdom is, is, is we we are you know uh, body of Christ and he is the head of the body and into his kingdom is establishing that kingdom so entering his father's glory is still establishing that kingdom okay. and the the thief of the cross was told that you'll be with me today in paradise but we know that. Uh, Jesus didn't immediately, you know, go up to this place we called heaven. Uh, he went uh, to another place to uh, preach to those souls uh, in uh, in a state of being that was not heaven and was not hell, but it was a preparation place for his coming. So this entering into the kingdom are being uh, is 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 not really even in an understanding of heaven as it, because it is a deeper spiritual reality of this transformation of, of actually 
creating a new heaven and a new earth spiritually that we enter into because it is actually entering into the body of Christ himself, the Christ as, uh, as the head of the body. Right. But it, 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 uh, how he described this Passover, it, it is amazing when you think of it, because God, after establishing the Passover, uh, he, he came 1,300 years later and said, I strongly desire to celebrate this Passover with you. So it's in the incarnate flesh, I strongly desire is, is basically saying this is this is my main purpose. Mm-hmm. This is my new covenant with you. It's so amazing. The word made it, flesh. You're right, Luke. It's absolutely mind-boggling. If you put yourself if you put yourself in the in the shoes of the Jews of 1300 BC, they're being walked through this at this, this point ceremonial of the Passover, where where you you know the lamb is slaughtered and then prepared, and I mean, it, it would have been the farthest thing possible from their mind that. This would be fulfilled eventually by God Himself being the Passover Lamb. That you. I lost you. Yeah, for some reason it switched over and muted me. I, I didn't do it, but it did it automatically. <laughs> but you couldn't have. I lost you again. I don't know what's going on. It's almost like somebody has logged into our switchboard and is playing tricks on me. Somebody keeps putting me on the mute. Huh. It's almost—it's almost like our switchboard has been hacked into because my microphone keeps switching from from microphone to mute. So anyway, farthest thing conceivable for a uh, a Jew thirteen hundred years ago to imagine that the Passover would be fulfilled by God himself. God himself would be the Passover lamb. That would have been incomprehensible, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and you have to look at the things that were done in the Old Testament. There's no real purpose for these things unless they are fulfilled in Christ. I mean, it, 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 it's symbolism. And, it's like Paul who said that, you know, the blood of the animals didn't really take away sin. So what was his purpose? His purpose was to show the soul that has entered into the new covenant, the heavenly reality of the, uh, of the sacraments. All of these images, we, we contemplate living the new covenant, and we can see how they are fulfilled in, in Christ, in only Christ. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. Please continue. So this body is not a metaphor, but a heavenly reality. You know, uh, and it is a heavenly reality uh, for the main purpose of of the Mass. Because Christ with his body, as head of the body, and high priest, his main purpose as high priest is to perform 
priestly function. So what is this priestly function? Paul tells us uh, Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, what does Melchizedek offer? Bread and wine. But we're raising these, these symbols to the spiritual reality uh, of, of their heavenly purpose. This bread and wine is also what he called his, his, his body and blood. He also called uh, the lamb. Uh, you know, we, uh, we know that the lamb is a symbol of Christ, the blemished lamb. So as we discussed before, Peter did not fully grasp what Jesus was saying when he said we must eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to have Christ's life in us. But he understood that Jesus was the Christ and would accept his words without understanding. And this is where obedience to faith comes in. And, and Protestants just do not even come close to grasping this concept. And right. You gotta... So Yeah, you know, there's, the... there's, two other, there, there's only two other examples that I can think of in Scripture that, he, that, that even rival this in terms of of um, this Im- impossibility to grasp, impossibility to, and and that is when Abram uh, Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, and it's just unthinkable. I mean, wait wait a minute, you want me to slaughter my own son? Uh, and then when the angel Gabriel says to Mary, uh, guess what, Mary, you're going to conceive and uh, bear a son. Uh, while remaining a virgin, and oh, by the way, your son is going to be God. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> you you think at the at the time that this was the time when a girl caught in adultery was stoned. Luke, she was stoned to death. Okay, and and Mary's only excuse before the Sanhedrin is, okay, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin, and oh, by the way, I'm carrying God. I mean that would have gone over real good with the chief with the chief priest and the and the and the, and the Sanhedrin, right? So those are the two only examples. And then now here the third, you know, the disciples are being told, okay, here's the deal: you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and if you don't, you have no life in you. I, I can't imagine how shocking that sounded to the ears. And yet, Peter, when, when confronted, when Jesus said, will you two walk away, what did Peter say? He said, where should we go? You have the words of everlasting life. So, you know, Abraham's, Mary's, and Peter's faith in these three circumstances is just, it, it's mind-boggling to me. Then, then you just gave another example of these spiritual realities fulfilled. Uh, what happened with Abraham was he found a goat. Uh, in, in a thicket. Well, what is a thicket? It's 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 briar. It's thorns. So we have the image of the lamb again, with the thorns, the crown of thorns, and we have God the Father, who uh, you know is 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 going to, you know, be offered by the by the Son. You know, I mean, right. the Son is going to offer Himself, you know, for the sins of the world. And in that same place where Abraham was. Uh, my understanding is that uh, you know people who, who have studied it, it says that's where Christ was was, was crucified. Wow! 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 
Yeah, the thing that I'm struck by in that passage is when Isaac asks his father, Father, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham's response is, God himself will provide the sacrifice. Uh, just mm-hmm. Abraham, do you think Abraham had any comprehension of what he was saying at that point? I, I would have to say no, right? No, not even close. And, and I don't think the apostles had you know, a deep comprehension until after the Spirit came at Pentecost. So everything they were doing, everything they were seeing, you know, was, was they saw the miracles. So through the miracles, they accepted, you know, Jesus, something beyond human nature. But then they also accepted these words that they basically just could not comprehend, could not put together, you know. So... And it's uh, and the fulfillment of this, yeah, it just comes comes together as such a you know we look at scripture as a seamless fabric. I mean, oh, yeah. you you could sum up the whole Bible as a love story between an imperfect bride and a perfect groom, and he, the book of John uh, also origin refers to this as basically, you know, the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's so many things in it that show us marriage between God and man. So you're so right, Luke, and this is why I've pointed out to so many people, this is why John's Gospel and the book of Genesis start with the same three words, in the beginning. It's not coincidence. John is tying it all together. Um, Another little sidebar, just to give an an example of what you talk about. Have you read the complete works of Anne Catherine Emmerich? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, she has a very interesting um, sidebar in there because you brought up Melchizedek. And of course, Melchizedek appears in Genesis six fourteen, I think it is where he first appears. So he appears before the Levitical priesthood. And you get this mystical figure, Mel- Melchizedek, who appears out of nowhere and he and he makes this offering of bread and wine and then uh, Abraham gives him a tenth of everything that he has well so Anne Catherine Emmerich says that the that the cup the chalice and the utensils and everything the chalice and the bowls and all that and that Abra- that uh, Melchizedek used to make this offering wound up in the uh, in in the storage in the temple in some back area, and 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 somehow came out of there and wound up like in a in a secondhand shop, if you will. And they were purchased by no less than Veronica, who wiped the face of Jesus. And when Jesus needed a cup and bowls and what have you for the Last Supper, well, he was given these to use from Veronica. So so when Jesus offered the bread and wine at the Last Supper, consecrated into his body and blood, he used the very same cup, etc., that Melchizedek did in his offering. This is according to St. Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. And it just, I mean, that's just a fascinating insight, isn't it? Uh, It's amazing. And you pictured that that with those words, I strongly desire to celebrate this Passover with you. And, and it just it just builds it up in layers and layers. Like uh, 
like the uh, idea, what happened at the Last Supper, uh, being a setter. You know, the 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 matzah in the setter broken into three pieces, and the third piece is hidden until the end. Yeah. Uh, this is most likely what was present with the third cup of the setter. The third cup of the setter is the Thanksgiving cup, the cup of benediction. Mm-hmm. So Paul says the cup of benediction that we bless, is this not participation in the blood of Christ? Well, let's look at this third matzah that comes with the cup of benediction, the blood of Christ. Uh, there, there's a, a Jewish uh, historian by the name of Bob, and uh, he says that. Sorry, you, you broke. You broke up, Luke. Could you repeat the name? Okay, Bod B A B A U D, and uh, okay. he says that he says that the uh, this this third uh, piece of matzah is known as the Afikman in Greek, and he says some people translate it as uh, that comes last, but uh, he says he translated it as the coming one. So we, we started to discuss this a, a little bit, but, but, but of course we're reviewing here because we're moving on. Uh, so therefore, in the true Passover is the promise of Christ's final coming. So you put all of this imagery together, and you can study this your entire life and, and still find new things because it, it's the depth of it. So well, some the, of it, it, it's all summed up in the in the fact that you say that the scripture. And I agree with you. Scripture must be approached this way. It must be approached as a seamless as a seamless fabric. You can't look at every scripture passage in isolation. Uh, that's where we've got us the forty four thousand denominations. Um, you know, John nineteen is tied to Revelation twelve. Is tied to Luke eleven. Is tied to Genesis three. Is tied to First Kings chapter two. They're all like you said, seamlessly tied together into one overflowing, expounding reality. And you have to look at it in its totality. If you look at it as, as uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's like a puzzle that you put together with. If you look at the puzzle as a thousand different pieces, it doesn't look like anything. It's only when all those pieces are put together in the right order, can you understand it in its totality and, Luke, you need a church for that. <laughs> and, and as you do it, you, you realize that this is you know, Christ speaking to your heart. He's showing you as the bride everything he's done for you, the spiritual reality. You know, when, when, when Paul uh, heard these words uh, at the Last Supper, I mean, did he, did he understand that word as, as the coming one? Because what did Paul say? For often as you shall eat this bread and drink this cup, you will show the death of the Lord until he comes again. So that 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 poetic sense is just everywhere. So through Christ our high priest, we show this to the Father. And Paul, the priest of the new covenant, shows us over and over again the, the pre-functions he performed. Uh, writing to the church of Rome, he says that I should administer Christ Jesus among Gentiles, sanctifying the gospel of God, that the oblation of the Gentiles may be made acceptable and sanctified the Holy Ghost. I mean, in, in the Greek, he uses a variant of the word heres, which is, means belonging to the temple. 
And uh, so uh, it shows the image of a priestly function right there. And I don't know how people can separate the sacramental nature, you know, from from from, from the verses, and they can't separate the priest the priest from the verses. And right. you actually have to ignore the other, uh, you know, uh, other uh, exegesis and other Bible that came that that saw this clearly, like the Bain right. Study Bible in the uh, same verse. It says, to a minister of Christ Jesus, the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel, the world English Bible says that I should be a servant of Christ Jesus, the Gentiles, serving as a priest, the good news of God. So, right. go ahead. Well, it's it's almost like you're trying to separate the water from the wet. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, I, like I've confronted people about this, and they say, well, you know, Show me where the mass is in the Bible. Okay, everywhere. Have, have you opened the Book of Revelation? I mean, have you actually looked at it? I mean, I, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, or you you just go by what your pastor tells you is in the Book of Revelation, or have you actually read it? Because I see priests with vestments and candles and lampstands and incense and an altar. And a sacrifice, and I mean, I, there's the Catholic worship right there. Now, but then you hear the I, word Paul, what would put it all together. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Paul says he sanctifies an oblation through the Holy Spirit. Well, sanctify is to set apart for a sacred purpose to be holy. How do you make something? How do you make bread holy if it's not through consecration? And right. and how does it possible? Without a priesthood, an oblation right. is an unbloody sacrifice. In the Old right. Testament, the unbloody sacrifices are a bread and wine, they're cereal offerings. Paul offers consecrated, holy, unbloody oblation through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit of the Gentiles. Through the Holy yeah. Spirit, the priests of the mystical body sanctified bread and wine. Therefore, setting it apart, consecrating it, making it holy right. for a holy purpose. Right. It's, so, it's so, say Luke, no so, say Luke, let's just say that I was your boss, and and we were working in a factory setting or or, or something like that, and you wanted to understand how a certain process worked, how a certain thing was manufactured, or or what what have you. Okay. And and I take you into the processing plant, and I run through the complete process. And you're in there with your pencil and your notepad or your video recorder or whatever, and you're recording everything that I'm showing you step by step. Now, you're watching exactly how it is that I'm doing this process, okay? Isn't it reasonable to expect that my expectation as your boss is that you're going to do this process exactly as I showed you. I'm showing you that this is how it's done, okay? This is what it should look like. Well, what's going on in the book of Revelation? God calls John up into heaven. He says, come up here. I'm going to show you what it looks like. And he, he calls John up in heaven and shows him what heavenly worship looks like. And guess what? It looks like what's going on in the Catholic Church. 
I didn't see any bands up there with with any guitarists and drummers and and smoke machines and lasers and it, it, I don't see any of that in the Book of Revelation, <laughs> but I do see priests with vestments and robes and an altar and sacrifice and 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 what needs to be said here, Luke, and you mentioned it, but it's worth reemphasizing. We aren't recreating the heavenly worship the heavenly worship we are participating in the heavenly worship they, they at, at this at the point of the mass at each mass luke we are participating in the heavenly worship heaven and earth become one in the in the mass and the and you know people say well jesus died once and for all he died once and for all for well that's true he did but how is that sacrifice made available to you? What Jesus did at Calvary is worth nothing if it's not made available to you. It's worth nothing to you unless it's made available to you. Luke, tie it all together. The Mass is how Calvary is made available to you. And put it together uh, with this uh, that idea that seems most fabric. You just described the mass in, uh, uh, through looking at revelations. Paul, Paul describes what's already being lived when he says the cup of benediction that we bless. Is this not participation? This is a rhetorical question. He's talking right. to people participating in the Holy Mass. Over and over and over again he does this. When he talks about the, for as often as you shall eat this bread and drink this cup, you'll show the death of the Lord to the and so he comes again. Who is showing the death of the Lord to? Of course, it's the Father. And Christ showed us how to do it when he said, do this in remembrance of me. Or in the Greek, the word anonymous, which is sacrificial, which is, shows sacrificial nature over and over and over again in the Old Testament. It shows meaning of sacrifice, uh, in a sacrificial nature. So all the images... And then look at what Paul said. Take all the images of what's going on, what you see in Revelation. Then picture this in your mind with all of this together. You have come to Mount Zion, to the New Jerusalem, to the church of the firstborn, thousands of angels, to the spirits of the just made perfect, to Jesus Christ, mediator of the new covenant, to a sprinkling of blood that speaks better than that of Abel. And there's a warning after that. To listen to the God who's speaking to you from heaven itself, right? And the warning is, and the warning is so serious. You know, when I I ask people, I I, when I discuss this, what I'm saying, let me ask you something: what What does the word discern mean? Well, discern means to recognize truth from error. Correct. So to properly discern something means to recognize it as to, rec- to recognize what is true, right? And they say, "Well, yeah." Uh-huh. Well, look at First Corinthians eleven twenty nine, and Paul says, "He who eats this bread and drinks the cup without discerning the body, in other words, without recognizing it as the body of Christ, what does he say, Luke? Eats and drinks." Damnation upon himself. Those are shockingly stark words. And anybody that reads that without taking it very, very seriously, uh, I think is making a big mistake. 
So, so Paul is being shockingly, blatantly clear. And so we have, like you said, we have Paul saying, this is what's going on. And I don't know when, um, I'm not a scholar of dates and everything. Maybe you know better than I. Approximately when was 1 Corinthians written? I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Because I'm a, I'm a, I'm, 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 I'm thinking that probably in the fifties. Yeah. See, I'm a, I'm a student of Scott Hahn uh, in the belief that the Book of Revelation was written earlier than a lot of people think. A lot of people think the I Book think, of Revelation I think it was written before the destruction of the temple. Yeah, because I think the Book of Revelation was written in 68 A.D., the year of the four emperors. But mm-hmm. even so, First Corinthians even predates that, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes. Okay. So, so now what you have is you have Paul talking about the reality that was going on in the worship on earth. And then John gets this glimpse in, glimpse in heaven and says, hey, look, what you're doing on earth is what's happening in heaven. So – this is what goes back to what you keep saying about the seamless fabric. It's all tied together. The earthly worship and the heavenly worship are identical. Why? Because it's the same worship. It's the same worship. We're not imitating the heavenly worship. We're participating in the heavenly worship. The angels and the saints are present at every mass. And that's an incredible, mind-boggling reality. But that is the reality that is presented to us in Scripture. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's pr- pretty amazing. And, and just like the Jews didn't see Christ, and you needed Christ to see the Old Testament fulfilled, Protestantism, by not participating in the Holy Mass and the sacrament of life, does not see the fulfillment. It's uh, okay. uh, one of the verses that, uh, you know, uh, that the early church caught on to and the prophecy of the Mass is, is Malachi 1.11. We've said this verse over and over again, but it's really pertinent here. And uh, in the verse, uh, uh, the prophet Malachi is saying, For then rising the sun, even to its going down, my name is great among the Gentiles. And every place there is sacrificed. There is offered to my name a clean oblation. For my name is great among the Gentiles, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, Protestants are, are kind of locked into this verse. You either accept that the Gentiles uh, w- uh, were not baptized in the church until after the cross. So this clean oblation is offered from where the sun rises until it sets after the cross. So you either accept this reality or you simply ignore the verse. The old covenant is filled in the new. In the old, God told Moses that the bread of the presence was always placed before him. His bread was to be eaten. Every, uh, I'm refreshing some of the stuff because I, uh, I don't think people are going to go back. But three times a year, the, the sacred bread, along with the consecrated wine, was brought out of the holies to the Jews. And the table contained the bread and wine was raised. And the priest would say, Behold, God, God's love for you. This is my body. Behold God's love for you. The bread of the presence must always be placed before me. That right there 
if you tie that in with Malachi 1.11, if you tie that in with all of Paul's sacramental, you know, references, uh, Hebrews 12.22, and the image of the mass of heaven, it's just, it, it, it's just amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I read one of your comments here, and it kind of struck me as, as uh, amazing here. I want you to expound on it. But you, you walk us through Psalm 22, and it, it almost sounds like you are, walk, are walking us from the crucifixion to the consummation in the Mass, course of that one psalm. It begins with, with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those, those prophetic words that Jesus said from the cross, but then it ends with, I will declare my name in a great church. So uh, ex- expound on that, exactly what you're saying there. Well, Jesus at the Last Supper said, I will not drink of the cup, uh, um, uh, cup again until I enter my Father's glory. And the last thing he did for the cross, uh, or what he, he, first he refused to drink on the, on, the, on the way. And then the last thing he did was fulfill the true setter by partaking of the fourth cup of the setter. So in this fourth cup of the setter is the consummation cup. And after the fourth cup, the Jews would repeat the words, I will be your God and you will be my people. So again, the, the seamless fabric, because if you put that together, I will be your God, you will be my people. Partaking of the fourth cup, I fulfilled Psalm 22. And like you said, it's, you know, he's from the cross. And the Jews understood, and, and they, they had these, you know, the Pharisees had these scriptures down pat. When they heard the beginning of the psalm, they knew how the psalms flow. And so God is telling us to follow the psalm, which begins with, my God of my He said this from the cross, you know, at the consummation. And at the end of this, uh, the, the songs, I will declare my name a great church. So it is consummated. Uh, it, it, it you to me forever, I will espouse you to me in justice. I will call those my people who are not my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. From the cross, the added life giving birth to his bride said, It is consummated. And Augustine picked up on this. And, and this is just beautiful from Augustine. Because Augustine saw that what the cross was in spirituality was a marriage bed. He says, like a bridegroom, Christ went forth from his nuptial chamber. He came even to the marriage bed of the cross and sensed the creature sighing in her breath. He surrendered himself to torment for his bride. <laughs> so this one gets me choked up in the communication of love. Mm-hmm. And it's just, man. <laughs> Put it all together. There, there you have them, and Jesus and his mother came to a marriage feast. Water into wine, you know. Together, it's amazing. And in this consummation, Augustine says, every celebration of the Eucharist is a celebration of marriage. The church's nuptials are celebrated. The king's son is about to marry a wife, and the king's son is himself the king, 
and the guests frequenting the marriage are themselves the bride. For all the church is the bride of which the beginning and the first fruits is the flesh of Christ, because there was a bride joins the bridegroom in the flesh. Luke, are you there? I'm here. I lost you for a minute. Could you repeat your last thought? Uh, what, what did you hear last? Uh, you were you were talking about Augustine, and you were comparing the um, the, the the bride and the bridegroom, and then I lost you. Okay, uh, did, did I quote Augustine on uh, on the cross? Yes, you did. Okay, and ask, after that, did I quote uh, him about the Eucharist in relationship? No, that's where I lost you. Okay, from the cross. We have this marriage bed where Christ is consummated. And Augustine, uh, another area, says every celebration of the Eucharist is a celebration of marriage. The church's nuptials are celebrated. The king's son is about to marry a wife, and the king's son is himself the king. And the guests frequenting the marriage are themselves the bride, for all the church is Christ's bride, of which the beginning and first fruits is the flesh of Christ. Because there's a bride joined to the bridegroom in the flesh, and this this just culminates everything that we, we we've said, and in this environment is is us presenting the true Passover through Christ ahead of the chosen people, the holy nation, the royal priesthood, the flesh to the uh, to the Father in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Right. So the. The act of love that ties it all together, the bride and the bridegroom, is the is the act of suffering. The act of suffering and death is is the bond that ties it all together. That's 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 mind boggling. That's so hard to get your mind around. Um, it, it just these are the kind of things that show me that God is just so far above Amazing. us. So Amazing. far above us. <laughs> and that's what Job Job quotes. My ways are not your ways. My ways are a thousand times above your ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the early church, they knew they were given the most sacred mysteries of the universe. And they actually veiled the scriptures. I mean, Paul said this. He says, if our gospel be veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Well, it was veiled to those outside the church. It was veiled to those not living obedience to the faith and the sacramental life. Paul, you know, is, is not writing a cat. He's writing to people who already stayed with for up to three years, teaching them the faith, and he's only going over things, you know, in, in a lot of ways, almost a cryptic way, because Christ says, "Do not give what is holy to dogs." And we went over this before, where we, where we showed that the early church understood that to those who need to be baptized before they receive the Eucharist. But I, I found something also interesting in the Apostolic Absalorum, uh, dated to about 1, 140 AD. It says, The Lord said, You will celebrate the memorial of my death, that is, the Passover sacrifice. At the cock's crow at dawn, you will perform my feast of love and my memorial. The apostle said, Lord, haven't you drunk the full, to the full of the Passover sacrifice? Is it necessary that we begin? Jesus responded, Yes, it is necessary until I come again from the Father. And there's your apple coming again. There's your Paul saying, 
for as often as you shall eat this bread and drink this cup, you shall the death of the Lord until he So they, they they had this in you know in the body of faith, in the Christ consciousness, in the church. And this is what they're living and they're living among persecution. And so they're keeping these secret cryptically. How much of a foreshadowing of this do you see in the ordained priest? I'm sorry, go ahead. How much of a foreshadowing of this do you see in the Song of Solomon? There, there's almost a, a kind of a foreshadowing of this, right? Uh, it, it's it's all over. It's uh, even, even the marriage, you know, it, it's all over. I am black but calmly, you know, said the bride, you know. Uh, that's and Jesus married uh, a, a bride who was sinful, and Paul says he became sin, you know, who knew no sin, that we should become the righteousness in Him. This is this isn't simply thoughts. This is baptism into the flesh of Christ. This is partaking of His body and blood. This is being the actual body of Christ, not a metaphor. And if we are right. the body of Christ, became sin who knew no sin. But it's, but it's very very clear to point out this is not a. You know there are so many so many of our Protestant brothers and sisters that misunderstand this and and see this as a as a a transactional thing uh, where Jesus did it all and, and we don't have to do anything. Not so. Not so at all. Uh, uh, we have to participate. We have to participate in the suffering of Christ, but he actually provides us the grace to be able to do that in some mystical way his love walks us through the very suffering that we need to go through to atone for the offenses that we've committed against him. So he finds us the escape, and then he provides us the strength to be able to take, to walk through the escape. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling, Luke. Yeah, it is. It's... Uh... And uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, address the point that I was making. It's not—it's not substitutionary. It, the, the, this idea that he does everything, I—I I do nothing. That's false. You have to participate in your own salvation. And yeah, yet, I, 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 go ahead. Yes, and definitely. Then, well, then, well but while well, you have to participate in your own salvation. He provides you the means, and he provides you the strength to be able to do it. So it's 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 not it's not my work, but it's his work through me that I have to cooperate with. It's it's like you said, it's a mystery. It's it's something you can't get your mind around. You can only be obedient to and cooperate with. Yeah, I knew where I was going with this. When Peter said you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Well, being a royal priesthood, that itself is something that requires action. You know, you, you can't be a priest unless you're performing the, uh, uh, the the acts that a priest does. Right. And so we are a royal priesthood as the body, and we also have the ordained 
the president or our leader, like uh, described with Paul, sanctifying the oblation. So you can't uh, uh, just simply have have this belief and be transformed. I mean, uh, when Paul says, as often as you shall eat this bread and drink this, you'll show the death of the Lord until he comes again. Simply Paul speaking off the cuff. Paul is telling us what Christians are mandated to do. We are mandated to show the death of the Lord. When Christ says, this is my blood of the new covenant, do this. This is not simply off the cuff. This is a new commandment to participate in the general redemption of the world, which is the true pass which is the true Passover in the Holy Mass. And they if 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 we went back to uh, our discussion on, on faith versus obedience to the faith, you know, this this is where the Protestants just uh, they they just don't get it. Um let's, let's try to simplify this. Uh, Paul never said that we don't need the Ten Commandments. Never said we don't need the religion and ritual of the New Covenant, but taught the religion and ritual of the New Covenant. The only time he ever uh, put work in a negative light is when he was referring to the actual second legislation of Mosaic Law after the commandments given for worshiping the, the, the golden calf. This pedagogy of this whole body of ritual works uh, which was the strict schoolmaster for a child to keep the, uh, the Israelites in line after being, you know, and influenced by, by paganism for 400 years in Egypt. So when he says that, you know, uh, the, when he puts the works in a negative light, it is only the, the rituals in the Mosaic law. And of course, he, he adds circumcision to that also. So, with this false understanding, it is really, really sad because the narrow road in obedience to the faith is the sacramental life, focusing on what is holy. I mean, it could be, and you can, you can, you can't be in more holy presence than being in the presence of the Eucharist. And so Christ says, "Be holy, for I am holy." Where do we go for this holiness? We go to the Eucharist. We, as the chosen people, the holy nation, the royal priesthood, actually go to heaven in the true Passover. And so the false understanding of what actually separates them from the entire new covenant. Right. Well, what it is, Lucas, is it's a false dichotomy. They they reduce it to a false dichotomy where um, your only two options are uh, I must rely on my own ability and my own holiness, or uh, I must rely exclusively on the holiness of Christ and I do nothing, that those are the only two choices. Well, there's a third option, and the third option is that God calls me to be holy, commands me to be holy, but then enables me to do it, uh, enables me to do it in uh, by grace that allows me to uh, – resist temptation and overcome temptation and also grace that sanctifies me and purifies me of my past sin. So it's it's this monergistic versus synergistic grace um, 
it's 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 very very difficult to get your mind around the fact that it is God's work, and that's why Paul says over and over again, "There's no room for boasting. There's no room for boasting," uh, because. I'm not going to be saved by my own effort, and Luke's not going to be saved by his own effort. Uh, but what we do, but but we can be. We are both capable of being damned by our efforts um, if we refuse to cooperate with that with that grace that that he provides us. So they set up this false dichotomy, Luke, between God's work and my work. And it's either all God or it's all me, um, and and that's just not what the Bible shows us. James says, "He who knows what is right and refuses to do so, for him it's a sin." So uh, you, you have to follow your conscience. And 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 if we look at how the early church understood, prophecy fulfilled the laws written on our heart that as Christians we raise to the beatitudes as opposed to the Mosaic law of rule, fear, and temporal punishment, is grace given freely. Baptism, which is being saved by the blood of the Lamb, its redemption, its justification, its sanctification, its entrance into the royal priesthood, is grace given freely. All the sacraments are grace given freely. The whole Mass, as for the general redemption of the world, is grace given freely. There is no individual salvation without the general redemption of the true Passover before the Father. Right. So explain real quick in these last few minutes, explain real quick exactly what grace is and what it does for us. And that and that's the two types of grace, sanctifying grace and actual grace. Uh, explain that real quick for our listeners. Well, when we hear that uh, a, a simple definition is uh, unmerited favor from God. I mean, I mean, but... Grace truly is God coming to you, God, uh, God transforming us. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm look up a verse real quick here. Let's see. And and this this really sums up this transfer transformation. Uh, bear with me. Paul writes, and we all who with unveiled faces uh, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with every increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So grace, in essence, is a nation of the soul by God coming fully and fully in, into our soul and transforming us through his Son. And what's fascinating with this verse it, it, it's 2 Corinthians 3.18. If we add a little bit of what Paul said in the past to this, let's look at it. Paul says, and we, and we all who have unveiled faces. Then think of what Paul said in another area. This is my body, O you full of Galatians. Before your very, very eyes, Christ is portrayed as crucified before you. No longer veiled, no longer the bread of the presence, but the true Eucharist. He goes, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord of the Spirit. So, uh, uh, 
I don't know how to explain it under the you know the uh, the catechism theological terminology, but this is basically what it means to me. Ephesians 4:24, uh, Paul says, and to put on himself, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is only done through grace. This is only done through humility, open to grace. So the new covenant is not living in obedience to the faith of the sacramental life in a process of transforming grace. Yeah, I think the best explanation is that it's a participation in the divine life. That's what yes. that's what grace is. It's 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 participating in the in in the divine life. It's being empowered by God. Paul says, "Through God, I can do all things. Without God, I can do nothing." Well, you know, I challenge our Protestant brothers and sisters with this. Do you believe what the Scripture says? Well, if the Scripture says, "By Christ, I can do all things." And Christ gives us the commandments and empowers us to keep the commandments. Well, then it would be unjust for him to not hold us accountable for not keeping the commandments. If he gives us both the command and the ability to fulfill the command, then it would be a violation of justice to not hold us accountable for that, right? Yes, definitely. And and in Second Thessalonians, he goes on to show the results of this grace. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Such things there's, uh, I, I mean, uh, he, he says there's no, basically no Mosaic law. So he's, he's putting the Mosaic law on the back burner there also. All right, Luke, we're, we're up against the end of another episode. Um, I really enjoyed this. Can't wait till next Saturday to continue it again. Would you uh, close us with a prayer, please? Hail, my Lord, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy name, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Luke. I'll see you next Saturday. And... For those of you um, out there, we're going to take about a half an hour break, and we'll be back at 8 o'clock with Swan Sona. God bless you, Luke. You have a wonderful weekend.